plan for your life? Do you know where you want to go? Are you looking to be happier, healthier, and wealthier while having more fun every day? Meet our empowerment architect and goddess gardener, Cynthia Bryan, as she engages in energetic exchanges with experts, bringing you research, innovations, strategies, and techniques to strengthen your life, business, and personal spaces. Be inspired, motivated, encouraged, and empowered. Lend us your ears right here on Star Style. Be the star. Are you are the party starts now? Well, it's power time, power party time. Hello, welcome to our informational playground. This is Star Style Be the Star You Are, bringing you all the information and edutainment that will make your week a happy one. Happy September. It's so crazy that it is already here. I'm excited, though, because I think it's going to be a great month. At least that's what we have to do, is make it a great month. We're continuing our Wednesdays with writers and performers today on Star Style. We give authors and actors and artists and entertainers who've had all their performances and events canceled due to the COVID-19 platform to shine. So we're very... um, thrilled to be able to provide this service and today I'm very excited with our author guest coming up in segment two Eliza Nash Taylor has a fantastic um, this is her first novel it's a coming of age novel called Etiquette for Runaways set in 1924 and so it is definitely the jazz age the roaring 20s and it definitely had um, had me um, captivated. I didn't want to put it down. So we'll discuss all of that. And it's interesting how similar it kind of is to today's day. We're also going to talk about unemployment. More people are unemployed than today than in the last hundred years. Businesses are taking extreme measures to write out what is expected to be a very long haul. And so we'll talk about how can we join forces to build a healthy, sustainable world. And also, since it's Labor Day weekend, just a few tips to keep you safe on Labor Day. The miracle moment for today is brought to you by Be The Star You Are Charity. Visit BeTheStarYouAre.org. We are working on putting together something for all these disasters for Operation Disaster Relief. So consider making a donation. And it is also our 21st anniversary next week. 21 years of service. That's a long time. So this is from um, a marvelous um, author and speaker who's been on the show a few times, Harvey McKay. When you wake up every day, you have two choices. You can either be positive or you can be negative. You can be an optimist or you can be a pessimist. I choose to be an optimist. It's all a matter of perspective. And I choose that as well. Well, the dog days of summer are actually gone, but Sirius the dog star, he rises in the summer in the Northern Hemisphere, which called the dog days. And they are traditionally beginning in July and ending sometime 
in mid to late August. Now, the ancient Egyptians, they welcomed Sirius as a forecaster of the floods of the Nile River because then they could prepare for the river's overflow, which delivered such much needed rich soil to their deserts, or it could cause destruction to their lands. But by looking at Sirius, they could tell. Now, the Greeks and Romans did not appreciate Sirius because they felt that Sirius brought sweltering weather. They believed that Sirius, which means scorching in Greek, actually brought drought, disease, and disaster. And the Roman poet Virgil describes Sirius as the bringer of drought and the plague to frail mortals. Well, I think that we have uh, really experienced that in the last few months. Now, even though uh, August has come and gone, um, it was a notoriously hot, dry summer, uh, still a little bit summer, permeated, of course, with this global pandemic. And of course, although the historical meaning of dog days has nothing to do with our canine comrades, it is a fact that many housebound families have decided to adopt a, a hound or two during this pandemic. And what better time to romp in the yard with a new puppy than now as we shelter in place and we have more time to play. So although you need to keep yourself and your dog well hydrated in this hot weather, and at least here in California, we are expecting major hot weather again in the next, for the next week coming up, um, as high as 110, which is going to break all records. And if you planted a succulent garden earlier in the season, you're not going to have to waste any water by running the irrigation system because succulents and cactus, they thrive in the heat and they offer texture and color and form and interest when planted with consideration. Now, um, silk trees and oleanders provide a long blooming season, but you don't want to let your dog chew on any oleander leaves because they are poisonous to pets as well as humans. Now, a sparkling, gurgling fountain, that could be a watering hole, hole for your pet. Um, or you could place a small saucer filled with marbles and stones. I call it a butterfly bowl. And that'll be a lifesaver for butterflies, bees, lizards, um, and other insects. If you just put you know, a saucer in your garden somewhere. Uh, I like to always watch. I have, um, I, I have several fountains and I have a pond with a, you know, a gurgling kind of not a waterfall but a, a gurgling thing and it's interesting to watch the cats go over there and drink from the spout just as if it was a water spout and I've even seen the raccoons do it too so I probably like humans animals prefer moving water as opposed to stagnant water now while you're out playing with your pooches glance through your garden to see what projects await attention. I find that these uh, days are a great time to assess the needs of my yard. Although if it's smoky outside because you're in a fire prone area, don't go outside. The smoke has been really, really bad here, especially in Northern California. It has gotten into the purple zone. And so when that happens, stay inside with the doors and windows closed. <laughs> To don't breathe in those um, those particles and wear a mask if you go outside. Unfortunately, regular masks don't clear out all of the particles. You actually need those um, those N uh, what are they called N99s or whatever. But those are for the medical people. So, um, but 
if you checking on things in your garden that need to be done, your hedges need to be trimmed. It's a really good time to deadhead any perennials that have finished flowering. And then you'll probably get a repeat bloom. Go check any sprinkler heads to see if they're broken. Is your nightscaping working? Are the lights on? I mean, soon it's going to be darker. I mean, it's already getting darker earlier. So you probably want some lights at least along your pathways. If your uh, clay soil is compacted, it requires mulch and compost to regenerate the nutrients. Now, composting is really easy. And your doggy will probably enjoy helping you create a compost pile, although don't let him do his or her business in it. Now, I'm going to tell you how to make compost because it's really, it's very simple and it's nutrient rich. And I know my engineer, Josh, was asking me if I would uh, do a segment on compost. So here we go. So to make nutrient-rich compost, all you need is a combination of greens and browns. Now, the greens are vegetable and fruit peelings, grass clippings, eggshells, coffee grinds, tea leaves, and other organics. The brown is wood shavings, small branches, sawdust, cardboard, and newspaper. Well, you want to keep a lidded pail under your kitchen sink or in the garage or at the back door for ease of use and just scrape any scraps into that pail. So when the pail is full, you can go outside and the best thing is if you have an enclosure, it could be as small as three by three by three, you could make it yourself in an out of way area or side yard or somewhere, or you could buy a compost tumbler and then pour the scraps in there. If you have chickens or rabbits, or you you know are you have friends that have them, or near a farm, it's really great to add their manure to the batch. Chickens uh, is rather hot. Chicken manure is hot, so it's better to wait a couple of years. But it but it will it will enrich the compost. And if you make a pile which a lot of people do, with a pitchfork, you want to turn the compost regularly. Now, you have to keep the contents damp because when um, it's damp, then everything just starts working. It's, then it starts working like an oven. If there's worms around, I encourage you to get some worms in there because they, the, they really make compost fast. When the compost turns a crumbly texture like chocolate cake, it's ready. And it usually takes anywhere from three to six months. And then you can add it to your flower beds as a fertilizer, a moisture retainer, and a soil enricher. You can put it in your pots. Um, you also don't forget that you know, if you're mowing your lawn, you're going to put your clippings in there. If you're now that it's going to be fall, when you rake your leaves, you put your leaves in there. But it is important that you either turn it as a tumbler or use a pitchfork or whatever you have, a shovel, and keep turning it because it's going to turn into this really rich soil. Now, although we want to discourage our furry friends from munching on our plants, if you want a beautiful flowering plant that's not harmful to indoor plants, you don't have to look any further than orchids. I have this spotted mob phalaenopsis orchid. It has been blooming continuously for literally the past four years. I mean, as soon as some blooms end, another one sprouts. Orchids are trouble-free, and they're totally undemanding, and they're so elegant-looking. People think they're really hard, 
But the beauty of them is most people kill them because they overwater them or they fuss over them. Just leave them alone. Maybe put a single ice cube in it once a week in the container and then let the orchids beautify their home, clean the air, and you don't have to worry about your dog eating it or any pet. Now, outdoors, begonias are gorgeously in full bloom right now. But the one thing is, is begonias are toxic to all animals. So you want to be careful. Now, our dogs watch us eat and they may be inclined to want to join the party. So use caution and knowledge when feeding your canine anything but dog food. Grapes are going to be ripening in the next week. My grapes are ripe right now. But as delicious as they are for humans, don't be tempted to feed any to your dogs because Grapes can be toxic to a dog, damaging the kidneys. And for some, even eating a single grape could be fatal. Another thing, beets and cucumbers are ready to be harvested, along with tomatoes and peppers and eggplants and numerous herbs. And if you plant tomatoes in a large pot with parsley and basil, you can move that container to follow the sun. And in small amounts, ripe tomatoes, not green ones, because there's too much solanine in, um, in green ones, Cucumbers and peppers, especially red peppers and eggplants, they actually can contribute to a healthy immune system for your dog. But before you do any of that, always consult your veterinarian before dispensing any fruit or vegetable to your pet. So this is the time of year to pick and dry fresh herbs to be uh, used all year round. You can Homegrown herbs have more flavor than store-bought varieties. So if your dog has bad breath, you could give your dog a sprig of mint or even parsley, and it'll remedy the odor. And it's very easy to dry your own. You can harvest herbs in the morning after the dew has dried and make sure to pick herbs before they begin to flower. Flowers can be used in all the food preparations, but to save your herbs, just use the foliage, not the flowers. Make sure you make a clean cut using a sharp shear. Don't put herbs. Uh, don't pull herbs because then you might, you know, pull out the roots. You can rinse them in cool water, pat them dry, and then choose a hot, dark, dry spot where temperatures will be like 80 degrees. So if your garage is hot or an attic or a porch, even a closet can work. Light degrades the essential oils. And so that's why you have to have it dark. And for big leaf herbs like basil and mint, the best drying method actually is to place the stems on a rack or a screen so that they get circulation all the way around. A window screen looks works great if you have an old window screen. Every time I replace my window screens, I save the old ones. Now, for small or medium leaves such as parsley, sage, thyme, dill, cilantro, just gather them into bunches, a dozen or so stems, hang them from the rafters. Don't hang herbs in the kitchen, by the way, because the steam and the brightness will destroy your herbs. Now, most herbs only take a week to three weeks to dry perfectly, and they can be put in an airtight jar or canisters or stored for future use. Dried herbs make great gifts for a cook who's a non-gardener, and most herbs are a healthy additive for dogs. But again, consult your vet first. Now, although the dog days of summer are over, you still have time to romp with Rover and watch the twinkling dog star in the pre-dawn darkness because Sirius, the dog star, will be the brightest star in the heavens for the next 210,000 years, shining with glints of red and blue sparkles. 
I think you have time to play with your dog and watch the dog star. Happy gardening, happy growing. And when I come back from break, we will be talking with our author, Liza Nash Taylor, and her novel, Etiquette for Runaways. We're going to find out what happened in the romping of the 1920s. I'm Cynthia Bryan. This is Star Style, Be the Star You Are. We're coming to you live on the Voice America Network. Don't go away because this is going to be a great segment. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Are you seeking a dynamo speaker for your meeting, conference, or organization? Internationally recognized keynote speaker and New York Times bestselling author and lifestyle coach, Cynthia Bryan, will bring her energetic expertise, passionate professionalism, and ebullient personality to your event. Hailed as an expert in lifestyle, women's issues, self-help, personal balance, leadership, media, gardening, and interior design topics, Cynthia Bryan is a popular empowerment keynote speaker around the world, lecturing to audiences of 100 to 5,000. For rates and bookings, call 925-377-STAR, 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 and visit www.cynthiabryan.com. When you want the best, book Cynthia Bryan, www.cynthiabryan.com. This business of show business is calling out to me. Get started acting or modeling with a consultation from media coach extraordinaire Cynthia Bryan, who has guided entertainment careers for over two decades. Call 925-377-STAR or visit www.cynthiabryan.com. Pick up a copy of her award-winning book, The Business of Show Business, and start living your dreams today. Call 925-377-STAR. 925-377-STAR. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. It's power time on Star Style. Be the star you are with your passion, purpose, and possibility producer, Cynthia Bryan. Now, back to the power party. This business of show. Well, we're back. I'm still Cynthia Bryan, and you're listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. And we have a multi-talented writer, author with us. Liza Nash Taylor is our guest today on our Wednesdays with Writers. She's won the 2018 Hawthorne International Fellow, and she was also won all these other awards. And today we're going to talk about her debut novel, Etiquette for Runaways. It is so so good. Welcome, Liza, to Star Style. Be the star you are. Thank you, Cynthia. Thank you so much for this opportunity. You're, you've been so generous with authors. Well, thank you. I am an author, so I understand <laughs> how tough it is. It's like it's sometimes you feel like you're pulling teeth, especially at the moment, right? You are exactly right. Yes. Well, let's get to your novel, Etiquette for Runaways, because I I can't believe that this is your first novel, and it is just so gripping. It is amazing. All right. It's set in the 1920s, and I was just so surprised of how, um, how you made me and I know you do this to all the readers, I was right there with your characters. I was just right there with May and with Bird and with Rocky and all of them. I felt like I was living it. 
the it seemed like the time period was so similar to today. How much research did you have to do to, you know, get all those little innuendos and all the little small details? Oh, well, first of all, thank you. That's so nice of you to say. Um, research is, is sort of... Uh, a historical novelist guilty pleasure. We can go down these rabbit holes and, and and along the way I find things that I call Easter eggs that are little bits of research that can either be just an interesting tidbit about everyday life or sometimes they can just turn your whole plot on its axis. But to me, it's really important to be immersed in the time period. And I'll, I'll listen to the music of the time period and, um, look at the at the fashion and I you I can spend days on Pinterest, you know, looking at fashions of 1920s. But I, I think that the research is really crucial to to putting your reader there in that time period and getting all those little tiny details. Well you wrote in your author's note, because I always love the author's notes, that you actually came up with this when you were stuck at home because did you had you broken your ankle? You had a cast on. Yes. Tell us about that. Um, Well, it it was a funny story. It's funny now, but in 2013. Yeah, it wasn't funny then. I think it probably hurt. In 2013, I was taking my first writing class, and I was supposed to start a novel. And coincidentally, I was also planning on going on this wonderful girls' trip to France. And I had booked a house in the south of France and an apartment in Paris and rented a car. And I thought I'd go out and get some exercise the day we were leaving. And I was walking and checking my texts. And I, my ankle. So it was my right ankle. I was stuck at home at this old house where I live. Because you said you, you said that you live in an 1820s farmhouse in Virginia, right? That's exactly right. I, and both of my novels are set here in this house. Yes. Yes. So anyway, so don't text and write. So you you <laughs> broke your ankle. I mean, don't text and walk. So you broke your ankle on the day you were leaving. This is terrible. Yes, yes, <gasps> it was. So um, so just to I was stuck at home, and so I immersed myself in in starting this novel. And I sat on the porch of this house, and it was about this time of year. It was it was the dog days of summer and horribly hot. And I sat there and I looked around me and I thought, where am I going to set this novel I'm going to write? And I thought, well, duh, it's going to be set right here in this house. And then it was just a question of coming up with a character and a time period. And what what was it that really brought you to the 1920s? I mean, this to me, your novel is one of the first novels that really made the 1920s come alive to me. I had a a great aunt. She wasn't really a, related to, but she didn't have any family because she evidently was quite a wild woman in the 20s. <laughs> one of those flapper girls. She could have been. She could have been one of your characters. Um, so she never had kids, but she used to talk about the 20s all the time like it was the greatest period you know ever and you brought me there oh well thank you um yes well 
I was when I decided to set my novel here at this house in Albemarle County, Virginia. I was thinking what would be an interesting time period to write about, and and very quickly I I narrowed it down to the 1920s because there was a fair amount of moonshining going on here where I live in this county in Virginia, and nearby Franklin County, which is about two hours from here was, was during prohibition was called the moonshine capital of the world. (laughs) Uh, Yes. So there was, there was a lot going on in Virginia and um, you know, there's a darkness also to the twenties to prohibition and, and moonshining. And, um, and, and I just found it fascinating. Plus I love the clothes from the 1920s. I I do too. Yes, so elegant and beautiful, and you described him so, you know, so lavishly. I could, I could see them. Your her mother's pearls, and you know, yeah. There's, there's something about him. It's glitzy and elegant. Well, thank you. I, I, I have a background in fashion, so that part of, of the research was was a lot of fun for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it is that kind of your favorite era or not? It was just that you chose that. Um, it was. It didn't. It it's not my favorite era in in fashion. My my next book that's coming up is set during the Great Depression, and there is nothing to talk about in fashion during the nineteen thirties. No, 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 no. I well, you can talk about flower sacks. Um, I have right. the greatest, yes. the greatest photo of my grandparents and aunts and uncles who had just come over from Italy and uh, and they're they're in their best right but they're all barefoot they all are dirty and they only are wearing flower sacks (laughs) that is fascinating that you have that photograph I love this photograph it's my favorite photograph I mean everything was made out of flower sacks it's just right or whatever, or burlap, or or walnut sack, whatever they could find. That, yeah, yeah. So, and people had so few clothes, you yeah, know, as clothes. compared to what we have now. Oh yeah, it's crazy. Well, let's talk about your characters. Okay, so there's May Marshall, um, and it sounds like you know she just. She made, um, I don't want to say it, it's a mistake because, I mean, this is going on all the time, but the, it's like there definitely uh, all kinds of romance was going on throughout the ages, and it was always the girl who got in trouble. The boys were just cads, but the girls are the ones that get humiliated, and she got kicked out of college because of this, uh, you know, this romantic dalliance with this cute guy. So You're talk right. About- Talk about the Moors of the time. What was what was really going on? Right. Well, um, May had you know May grew up on a farm. Uh, her mother left when she was seven, so she never really had sort of a moral compass. Her father was emotionally unavailable. He's an alcoholic, and she sort of figured out she was a bright girl so she figures out that if she uh, can study Emily Post's guide to etiquette and manners and get a scholarship and copy dresses that she sees in Vogue magazine that she's going to fit in to a life in college that she sees um, if she can meet the right young man uh, from the right background, it will solve all of her all problems. All her problems. Course, yeah. yeah that's, Prince Charming that's is incredibly, coming. Yes. It's very naive, of course. Mm-hmm. And, and then once that all goes wrong, 
she becomes really quite jaded and sort of feels like, well, I've blown it. I'm not going to get another chance. I might as well help my father with the moonshining business. And she feels very unloved. I mean, she just, throughout the whole book, I'm I'm just waiting. I'm like, Bird sounds like such a terrific guy. And he's obviously cares about her so much. And it's like, come on, give him a chance. He, he doesn't have to be just your best buddy because you've known him since he was a kid. I mean, that could make it better. You know, you know all kinds of stuff about each other. But she yeah. doesn't want to give anybody really a chance because she is so jaded or she's so hurt and yeah. she feels that she's just not good enough. You're right. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, that's, that's, you really got the gist of that. It, when, when bird comes to New York and surprises her and I'm not going to give any spoilers, but um, I know that's the hardest part about talking <laughs> about a novel because I, I want to know, I have so many questions and I have to be very tempered. <laughs> Thank you. But he comes to New York and he brings a lot of emotional baggage that she she has been trying to reinvent herself, things she doesn't want to deal with. And, and he makes some assumptions about her that are incorrect and she doesn't correct him. And to me, that's really... A, a vital part of the book is that she, she knows that she could tell him, no, you're wrong. She could mm -hmm. go back home with him and she chooses not to, she pushes him away. Mm -hmm. And that creates an impasse between them that they just cannot get around at that point. And so that's really a conscious decision she's making to leave her past behind, to go on on her own into the unknown. And, um, and, Part of it's pride. She wants to prove him wrong and prove everyone wrong who, who thought she couldn't do what she wants to do. Well, she's and, hoping to make her dad proud of her. You know, she, he's, she's hoping that people will be proud of her, not just her own pride is what yes. I thought, too. Yes, you know. you're right. You're yeah. right. So when things don't go as well as she'd hoped, she's humiliated and she's... Um, she tells everyone everything's hunky-dory. And, you know, it's funny because I don't think I could have written this novel in my 20s or my 30s or my 40s because, you know, I think as we grow older, we have these file cabinets full of emotional experiences. Um, Life you know, experience. Mm -hmm. Yes. So we can we can go back and, and at 60, which the age I am now, I have a lot more files in that cabinet. Mm -hmm. And I can go back through them with more perspective and sort of more benevolent detachment. And, and in a kind way, look back on things like the first heartbreak, the most humiliating thing ever, and then pull those things out and, and, and put them into this young, naive character, you know, with the benefit of hindsight. Was, uh, what, was cocaine a big thing in the 20s? I always thought it was opium for some reason. Well, both. Oh, both. Opium was used very much by veterans of World War One, right? Um, because they had the post-traumatic stress, which they called shell shock. Yes, exactly. And um, but cocaine was at that point. I think cocaine was still in Coca-Cola. Um, so yes, it was available. And and you know, in New York and Paris in in that time during Prohibition, during the Jazz Age. There, there was, it was sort of anything goes. There, there wasn't, um, cocaine was, I suppose, it wouldn't have been available to her in Virginia, but in New York, it New was York it readily was. available. 
You're right. It seemed like everything was available. Well, I wanted to talk also about racism because uh, what was happening in your novel, and we're talking, if you're just joining us, Liza Nash Taylor, her new novel is Etiquette for Runaways, and it really is a gripping tale. You'll, you will love it, love it, love it. But I found there were just so many similarities for the time period there and the time period today. And of course, you know, there was um, anyone who was black was not allowed in certain restaurants and, you know, they had to do, uh, but in Paris, it was totally different. In Paris, it was the jazz age. And so black musicians were like the toast of the town. So that was really an interesting um kind of an interesting difference between America and the continent. Yes. Um, the whole Paris section, part three of the book, was inspired by Josephine Baker going to Paris in 1925 to star in an all-African-American review called Le, Le Revue. Rev. Yes. The, and, it was uh, the Negre, right? Yes, the, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had originally intended to have Josephine Baker as a character. And then I just decided that, um, I would be constrained by the, the, the timeframe of her, the events of her life. And also, um, the, the readers might have expectations. She was an mm-hmm. extraordinary person, but I, I, so instead of using her as a character, I, I invented a character I called Janie, who was based on Josephine Baker and would have had some of her similar experiences. But I, when I was researching Josephine Baker's life and reading biographies about her, she experienced some a, a lot of racism, as as many entertainers did in those days. When she was going on the steamship from New York to Paris on the Berengaria, she was invited to perform in the first-class lounge with the orchestra, but she was made to take the freight elevator to mm. get... Yeah. Isn't that so, something? So every, I, I do have instances of racism for my African-American characters now I when and but they rise about- above it I that's what I was so exciting uh, I mean your character Rocky was just I I wanted him as my best buddy <laughs> well thank you well but, you know it's funny because um I I don't write from the perspective of my African-American characters I have May observing their experiences and every instance of racism that I point out in my book comes from a a true incident that I found through research because I didn't feel like I could gloss over what was going on during that time. It was real, but neither did I want to sensationalize it. So, um, so there are some instances that I, I talk about and they all, in fact, I do come from, from actual events. And, you know, um, one of the things, the true event Uh, about the great moonshine conspiracy trial. It actually happened in 1935. Did it take that long? Because prohibition was over then. I really liked it that you said it in your time period in in your county. I thought that was, it made it, it was more relevant. Well, you've changed history. That's one of those Easter eggs I was talking about earlier. And uh, I read about this trial in 1935 that happened in Franklin County, near near where I live. Um, Franklin County was 
producing the highest volume of illegal liquor in the United States. Now, you're right, this trial was in 1935, and, and prohibition ended in 1933. It did take that long for them to assemble all of the um, evidence and so forth. But I just, basically, I don't go into the trial in my plot. I take the um, the story of the crooked sheriffs and officials, right. and I move that to 1924. So was that what it was about? Was it about all those crooked uh, sheriffs that were, you know, they were raiding and taking the money and uh, telling people they had to pay taxes, but then they were keeping all the money? Did the FBI actually use some of the moonshiners as um, decoys? I mean, did they actually bring them into their protection so that they could catch these these bad sheriffs and these bad players? They they did, and they, they actually sent in uh, an undercover federal agent. Um, and before 1932, it was called the BOI, the Bureau of Investigation. And I found that out I found that out in my pre-publication edits, and I had to go back and change everything change that everything. I'd written from FBI to BOI. Um, but um, what happened was this this ring defrauded the government out of $5.5 million in whiskey excise taxes, and that is equivalent to roughly $95 million today. Wow. And yeah, so what wow. happened was that there was a lot of witness intimidation, so they didn't get as many convictions as they had hoped, and it was the second longest trial in Virginia's history. So, you know, we don't hear about it now, but, um, but you know, it was a big deal back then, and, and there, as I said, there was so much corruption and, and competition and violence in the moonshining community. Oh, you know, I mean, it's... My, my grandfather actually um, was a manager of a big winery here in California, and he was brought on because of a prohibition and wineries couldn't make wine. And he thought he was just betting that Roosevelt would win, you know, in 32 and prohibition would end. But the same thing was happening. You know, there were a lot of stills. I don't think this is what we're seeing. It was similar, like for the pandemic. I mean, I think one of the number one sales is alcohol right now, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I can understand what was going on there. Well, I loved all your scenes in Paris, too. That was just, you know, that was just so, so beautiful. Having uh, lived in France and gone to school in France, I loved it when you got to got to France. And your character, Janie, was so alive. And, um, well, all your characters, they're all very, very real characters. And so you based them all on either people you knew or somebody, but you just made up. Um, you just added to it. Is that kind of what you did? Yes. Um, yes. My character, Elsie, is inspired by my maternal grandmother, whose name was Elsie. She went to Mary Baldwin College. Um, she was a real flapper. She could play the piano and sit down and play ragtime and have a whole party dancing. Oh, my um, gosh. Yeah. So she she was an inspiration. And um and Rocky, the way I envisioned Rocky looking was like a young Duke Ellington who was mm-hmm. very suave and handsome. Yeah, I, I just 
I figured he's got to be really, I mean, because of all the things that happened to him and I love all the good things that happened, you know, it was, it was really nice to see those things happen for him. He was a good guy and he was really good to me. Well, yeah. let's give out your website um, because we want people to go and check out your book and it is Liza Nash Taylor.com. It's spelled L I Z N A S H Taylor, T A Y L O R.com. She's also on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, obviously, Pinterest with a fashion background. Just go ahead and you can Google her name and you're going to find this new book, Etiquette for Runaways. And you will, it doesn't feel like a novel. It just, I don't know. It reads, it's such a wonderful, uh, a wonderful read. You're an elegant writer. The words just, they're, they flow off the page. They're flowery and sensuous. And I can't say enough great adjectives. I really enjoyed your writing. Thank you so much. And thank you again, Cynthia, for having me. It's, it's really been a pleasure talking to you. Well, congratulations on all the awards. I mean, I think this is just the beginning. And being a native Virginian, I'm sure there's not too many people that can say that they have, you know, that they're native and they live in an 1820s home and they're basing their novels there. I love it. So thank you so much, Liza, for gracing us with your presence and for writing your novel, Etiquette for Runaways. It's been such a joy to read and to scamper with your characters. I really enjoyed it. Thanks so much. Thank you. And we'll be back in a little bit. I'm Cynthia Bryan. You're listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. We are coming to you live on the Voice American Network. We're going to give you a few tips uh, for safety and also give you some talk about how business is not as usual. Don't go away. I'll be right back. Be the star you the star you are. Be the star you are. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Business Bites. Here's Cynthia Bryan. If you're in a work environment, have you ever encountered a grumpy customer or client? Well, what do you do when you're working and someone becomes unnecessarily unreasonable? Sometimes you're just in no mood for confrontation and you'd prefer to tell him or her to go jump in a lake. But of course, you can't do that. That approach will only result in a loss of business for you. So try this tactic first. Pause a few seconds. Take a deep breath. Listen carefully to the complaint. Ignore all the emotions surrounding the customer's attitude as it's just too easy to get pulled into the argument. Acknowledge that you've heard the complaint by repeating it and explain your point of view calmly, clearly, pointing out whatever customer policy or company policy or terms of the agreement. But address the genuine concerns that the customer or client may have and make it clear that you intend to fulfill your part of your guarantee. Usually, just by listening and finding out what you can do to help will resolve the issue. Remember, you're the star of your own performance. Turn your passions into profits. I'm Cynthia Bryan with another Business Bite from Star Style. For more information, visit CynthiaBryan.com. That's Brian with an I, CynthiaBryan.com. Be the star you are.
star you are. The annual cost of illiteracy to American taxpayers is over $225 billion. Help increase literacy, reduce violence, and improve positive media messages by making a tax-deductible contribution to Be The Star You Are charity. A top-rated nonprofit, Be The Star You Are promotes positive role models, produces positive radio broadcasts, and donates positive books to empower women, families, and youth. Be a power partner and join our galaxy of stars. Visit our website at bethestarur.org to make a tax-deductible donation using PayPal or send checks to P.O. Box 376, 376, Moraga, California, 94556. Bethestarur.org. Dare to care. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. It's power time on Star Style. Be the star you are with your passion, purpose, and possibility producer, Cynthia Bryan. Now, back to the power party. This business of show wasn't that a great interview? You will love the novel, Etiquette for Runaways, Liza Nash Taylor. Uh, she does such a terrific job of really describing the clothes and the makeup and the hair and the, the Biltmore Hotel and France and, I mean, everything. And, and then also the slum areas. So it's really fun. And going into the clubs and what they were like. So you will really enjoy um, reading this novel. Well, uh, before we, I want to talk about businesses because obviously as so much work moves online, you know, how can we safeguard already fraying social bonds? I mean, there's going to be things that we're going to be going through. I mean, for many office goers at the moment, we're working at home or, and maybe it's online, but Eventually, we got to agree on what the guidelines are going to be, establish protocols, and hopefully we'll find a vaccine for this uh, coronavirus. And then the office will probably make some kind of a comeback and co-working spaces, as well as cafes and getting together will reopen, but we'll probably never be the same as we were before. And we, what we found out in these last several months is that work can really happen anywhere for some jobs, not everything. And uh, we can be supported in a way that we want, but we do have to make the right decisions um, right now. Now, obviously, if you've been paying attention to um, to stocks, Zoom is has zoomed out of control. I remember in the beginning of um, of the coronavirus. I thought, oh, maybe I should buy a few stocks, but I put a bid in and it was too low and I never raised it. And oh my gosh, I think it's gone four times. So it is not business as usual because more people are unemployed worldwide now than have been in the past hundred years. And no matter what business you're in, if you're going to work into an office, businesses are taking extreme measures in an attempt to write out what is expected to be a drawn out slowdown. And, of course, only timers will tell whether these measures are working, if they're wise, if they're necessary. But, of course, for now, we're um, having to wear, keep a distance, wear masks, wash our hands. And maybe that will 
never change. Maybe work will never be the same. We don't really know what's going to happen. But we want to help keep everyone's eyes on the big picture because we're navigating numerous daily challenges. And in the midst of tragedies of the pandemic, I think we're up to almost 200,000 dead now in America. We can all join forces and build a more just and sustainable world. We just have to find the strength in one another and turn this crisis into a creative opportunity. And so what does that look like? Well, first of all, Loneliness is going to be something that people, especially if they're working at home, are going to have to deal with. And a lot of people, of course, are using FaceTime, uh, not, yeah, FaceTime and Skype and Zoom to keep connected. But some people are actually facing burnout from so much of this online things. So the important thing is to remember to take care of yourself and to realize when you're feeling that you're not healthy and when you're feeling that you're lonely or you need to pick up the phone or maybe you do need to get together with somebody, but just do it in a safe way. Now, as far as remote work goes, before the pandemic, telework for all its virtues, it was kind of messy, it could be ergonomically awkward, emotionally challenging, but it seems now that so many companies have just stepped up to really think about the health of their employees, and if they had to go to remote work to send them home with the right tools. I know that just in the last few months, I've had to be on tech support for many different things, whether it was GoDaddy or phone service or internet service or whatever it was. And without exception, I haven't met anybody that was working from an office. Everybody was at home. And I keep, I ask them all these questions like, do you feel, you know, how are you doing at home? Well, the ones that have children, and now are navigating online learning. Um, it's a little more challenging, but with the most of them actually still liked it. They still liked working from home. Every single person that I talked to said to me that even when they go back, they'll just choose sometimes to be able to go back to work, but um, that they're probably going to opt for wor remote working because they feel like they have um, personalization that they have individual control over their workstation features, um, that they feel that they have control over their time. They feel that they have are budgeting more money because they don't have a commute and they don't have to get work clothes. Almost everybody said, oh, yes, I'm, I'm just in my sweats. Some of them said I'm in my bathrobe. <laughs> I, I guess I asked too many questions, but I was fascinated about how people are navigating this. They also felt that their uh, personal freedom was enhanced because um, this way, you know, they got the job done, but they didn't have anybody just looking over them all the time, but they were still putting in all of the hours. And that was, that was good. A few of them said they had to learn how to, to set boundaries for themselves. They had to do daily management of distractions. And that's going to be always, right? Because if you're working from home, you might have animals coming in or your kids are coming in or whatever 
whatever it is. So you have to presumably learn how to manage your workflow better. And um, the good news, though, is that people said is they didn't have colleagues stopping by their desk to chatter. So that really helped them uh, a lot stay on task. And this way they were able to stagger their work schedule so that, you know, maybe if, if they had a partner or something at home and they had kids, they were able to stagger so that one could work with the kids, et cetera. So um, we just have to also pay attention to all the sensory dis distractions that are out there. And if you're working from home and you do have children, perhaps what you want to ask is, um, is, is it okay if we're on a Zoom call that my kids may just step in, you know, because you can't always keep out those three-year-olds. Now, there's this, the Labor Day is this weekend, and I want to just give you a few safety trips. If you are going to take a drive somewhere, drive safely. It's important always to drive safely, but that means driving defensively, checking your mirrors, your turn signals, speed limits, and obviously wearing a seatbelt. I think um, wearing a mask is going to be like wearing a seatbelt. I think we're going to just be doing it. Every time I go out now, I haven't seen anybody in our area without a mask. Um, this weekend, at least here in California, is supposed to be incredibly hot. It's supposed to break records. So wear some protection. Skin cancer is the most common form of cancer. Um, so if this, if you're going to be outdoors, protect your skin and protect your eyes. Wear 100% UV protection sunglasses. Wear at least 30 SPF sunscreen. Um, if you're going to be grilling, almost everybody barbecues on Labor Day. I love barbecuing. Just keep your grill away from wood objects, decks, railings, and branches, any kind of foliage. Keep your young kids and pets away, like three feet away so they don't get burned. And make sure to clean your grill by removing any fat buildup so that you don't have a flame up. If you're going to be doing any water sports, whether it's boating or swimming, just be cautious. If swimming, don't ever swim alone. Have somebody near you. If you have young kids, make sure they have life jackets. Don't drink and swim or drink and boat. Don't be under the influence. If you're going to do fireworks, just choose the correct ones. Light one firework at a time. Make sure that it's legal. Don't point them at anybody and don't let ch young children uh, around them. And of course, um, again, this is a time of year that it, you're well you'll probably be having you'll be in being by being in some alcohol so drink plenty of water during your festivities and um, remember that alcohol dehydrates you so set a limit or at least watch what you're consuming and for every alcoholic drink you consume drink an equal amount of water and don't operate machinery or use fireworks or swim when you're under the influence and just follow a few of these tips and have a fun safe worry-free labor day holiday weekend and wear a mask when you go out social distance wash your hands that's our show for today it has been another fun wednesdays with writers and performers here on star style be the star you are you can change your life make your dreams come true for more information about star style productions and what we're doing 
visit CynthiaBryan.com to make a donation to Be The Star You Are charity. I'm making donations to the charity so that I can bring you this show. Um, visit our disaster relief. Go to BeTheStarYouAre.org or you can just check out the initials BTSYA.org. Until we celebrate next week, I hope that you will read a book this week and I do suggest uh, this wonderful novel, Etiquette for Runaways. Just remember, love always wins, kindness always prevails, and smiles keep us happy. I'm Cynthia Bryan for Star Style, thanking you and encouraging you to be your authentic self, unapologetically authentic self. Go out into the world and be the star you are. Thanks for joining me and be here next week, 4 to 5 p.m. on Star Style. Be the star you are. Have a great week and a safe Labor Day. Be the star you are, the star you are, be the star you are, you are the star. It's been a pleasure bringing you our life-changing program, Star Style, Be the Star You Are. We have you on our radar as it's our goal to inspire, inform, entertain, and motivate you to be the star you were born to be. For more information, visit StarStyleRadio.com. And to make a donation to the charity, go to BeTheStarYouAre.org. Ignite the flame that burns brightly within. Take charge of your life and coach yourself to success with our dynamic host and empowerment architect, Cynthia Bryan, every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for another serving of champagne for the spirit and a power boost to live with star style. Until we celebrate together next week, be the star you are. Keep caring, keep caring, keep caring, keep caring.